You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Certainly appreciate you joining us today. Boy, 2022 is coming to a close. 2023 getting ready to kick off, and we're going to cover some issues that matter for agriculture. We're going to start the show with Pedro Deneca, founder partner down at MD Commodities. He's in Brazil. He's going to give us an update on how things look down there. In segment two, we're going to talk with Dan Glessing, president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau, about their policy priorities heading into this new year. And in segment three, Brian Riley will join us. He leads the Free Trade Institute, and he's got some concerns about how the Biden administration is representing free trade in front of the World Trade Organization. And then we're going to close with our friend Michael Dykes, president and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association, looking at some changes USDA wants to make to WIC. Before we jump into all of that, however, we're going to talk markets and we're going to talk how the markets look down in Brazil. Joining us now, Pedro Deneca, founder partner at MD Commodities. Pedro, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, Mike. Pleasure to be here with you guys. You are currently down in Brazil, is that right? That's correct. That's correct. I'm down here in northern uh, Paraná. Beautiful day. Uh, we've been getting lots of rain, and now we'll get some uh, few days of sunshine here. Things looking pretty good up here. All right. A very different scenario than what growers are facing up in the United States this week. Pedro, before we talk about what all is happening in Brazil, let's get an update on the crop condition. That soybean crop is expected to be a monster. Conab reports a national average yield of 52.7 bushels per acre. What's your take? Is that a realistic number? Yeah, absolutely realistic. Uh, whether that's going to pan out or not, uh, we're going to have to wait another 30 to 45 days to to determine if uh, this is a crop that has the potential to go, to even go above 155 millimetric tons, or maybe it's a crop that stays right around 148 to 152 millimetric tons. But um, right now, we believe uh, the range, a working range, should be anywhere between 148 to 153 uh, at this point. Now, we have to wait. If, if rains arrive in uh, the uh, uh, southern portion of Brazil, Rio Grande do Sul, in January, uh, also recall that they're just now planting. They have a very similar cycle uh, as Argentina has. And so if rains arrive uh, in southern Brazil uh, here in the month of January and the forecasts are calling for it, so if the forecasts are correct, then I believe we're going to head towards 155, uh, maybe a little bit higher than that. But for right now, I think uh, let's just stay right around 150 as a working number, what we like to call it. And even a 145, uh, would be still 20 millimetric tons above last year. Uh, Brazil is going to totally dominate the export market starting in mid-January. And I think that's the part, Pedro, that I really want to pick your brain on. While you're down there in Brazil, this monster soybean crop is coming. Those northern Brazilian beans are coming out sh shortly. How much longer until that harvest gets underway in the north? We have clients that are uh, harvest starting to harvest uh, in about a week. In about a week, they're going to be you know hitting the fields. Now, again, uh, these are the very early soybeans. A lot of cotton producers plant soybeans a lot earlier because they want to optimize the cotton planting window. Uh, so that's not the majority of the beans. The majority of the beans in the center northern portion of Brazil, which is the, 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 the portion that produces the most, the region that produces the most, 
let's call it mid-Jan to mid-Fab. That's when really uh, things get going. All right, and they are going to get going, uh, Pedro, with the Brazilian Real at a steep discount to the American dollar. Can you tell us a little bit about how much Brazil is expected to export here in this coming uh, first and second quarter of 23? You know, uh, I'm going to throw first and second quarter. I believe we're going to see very likely record numbers every single month. Uh, If we don't see it every single month, we're going to see it you know, four out of six months, five out of six months uh, here in the first and second quarter. I believe for the year, uh, Brazil is headed to very likely something uh, over 90 million metric tons, which would be an increase um, of 15 to 20 million metric tons uh, from last year. Uh, And, you know, at this point, Mike, Brazilian soybeans are much, much more competitive in the uh, world market for the reason you just mentioned, for a variety of reasons, but one of the main reasons being the currency devaluation versus the dollar. Uh, so uh, the, the, the window for U.S. exports basically closes. When I say closes, window for major volumes of U.S. exports. U.S. still going to export, but the volumes are going to be very, very small, especially compared to last year, starting in mid-January. And I believe Brazil is going to be very, very strong, competitive until end of September, if not mid-October, which cuts even shorter the U.S. export window for next year. All right, Pedro, thinking about Brazil on the global stage, January is going to see some big changes in leadership down there in Brazil. President Lula taking over on January 1st. How's the ag industry grappling with Lula's ascent to the presidency in Brazil? Have they gotten on board? Uh, Not quite, not quite. Uh, You know, the the ag industry was very, very strong Bolsonaro supporter. Uh, There's been a a, a strong sense of disappointment, obviously, with Bolsonaro not being reelected. But at the end of the day, uh, Lula has been president before. The ag industry thrived when Lula was president of Brazil before. Um, it's not necessarily ideal for uh, in the view of uh, a lot of the folks in the ag industry, but that does not mean that they're not going to work together. Uh, just recall that agriculture in Brazil corresponds to about uh, just about one third of the uh, Brazilian GDP. And uh, any government that comes in is going to want to work closely with agriculture to make sure they continue thriving. Okay, that is good to hear. I know there were concerns that Lula might uh, put some policies in place that limit the amount of acreage, but Pedro, you haven't heard any confirmation of that quite yet? No, and I I would actually say that's total nonsense. You know, those are things that uh, start floating around. As you know, Mike, you know, you uh things get exaggerated uh no acreage is not going to suffer anything regarding uh we got to recall that acreage the whole discussion behind that thought which again it's total nonsense is that not your not that your question is nonsense the thought that it gets floating around i think it's an excellent question and it needs to be uh, talked about uh you know people think that brazilian acreage is increasing due to deforestation that couldn't be further away from the truth uh, there's a lot of pasture land that's being converted uh, into uh, uh, land for agriculture. So uh, that's going to continue. And uh, this whole narrative about uh, deforestation going into agriculture is absolutely wrong. And uh, it's going to be proven that way in the next few years. I think you're exactly right. Those acreage expansions are here. And Pedro, as we look ahead to this soybean crop coming off, that second safrina corn crop will go in the ground. Do you have a sense yet in Brazil of what acreage for that second crop might look like? You know, we're looking at a minimum of 5% uh, increase from last year uh, in the safrina corn. Uh, that number could get higher or a little bit lower. I, I actually, I think lower is going to be very difficult because the planting window is going to be very, very good. So the farmers have invested. They bought inputs already. By the way, uh, 
there is uh, uh, zero truth to some of the reports saying that Brazilian farmers have not invested because of the prices of inputs. This is the most expensive crop that they have planted in soybeans. It's going to be the most expensive crop that they will plant for cotton, for corn. So the potential is going to be there. I'd say minimum 5% increase in area. If weather contributes, if weather helps, meaning if it doesn't rain too much, right? Because you got to remember that in Mato Grosso and some of the center portions, February and March are very rainy months. All right. We'll see that growth coming, folks. We have been talking with Pedro Deneca. He's a founder and partner with MD Commodities, works in both the U.S. and Brazil. Pedro, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure. And folks, stay with us. Minnesota Farm Bureau President Dan Glesson will join us for an update on their policy priorities when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, we, we are the Foundation Fighting Blindness. 
Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. For about the past 60 days since that second week of November, conversation media has turned to the changing nature of Congress in Washington, D.C. But of course, early November didn't just see shakeup at the national level. We saw that election reshuffle happening at state houses across the country, and that means farm groups of Farm states all across this great nation are putting together their policy priorities for this next year at the local level, while they also take a look at what's developing on the national stage. And today, we're going to get the update on one of those states, Minnesota. Farm Bureau President Dan Glessing joins us now with a look at their 2023 policy priorities. And Dan, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Taking a look to this next year from the legislative perspective, Dan, for our listeners outside the state of Minnesota, did a whole lot change in November, or will it mostly be a lot of the same folks you're already familiar working with when you get to the state house? No, we we certainly had a, a shakeup in our system here in, in Minnesota. We were a, a, rep, a Republican Senate, a Democrat House, Democrat Governor. We are now 100% democratically controlled. Um, so. We didn't necessarily see the Senate coming. Uh, divided government sometimes is a, is a nice thing to work with. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we've got a lot of new faces to, to associate with and, and tell our story. Quite honestly, if you know a, a large percentage of those elected don't necessarily know farming or agriculture, and if you Google it, that's not probably the best place to get your information. So that's what we're here for, and we're going to start that here next week. That is a great point. It's so good to have an alternative to Googling for folks who need to learn more about our industry. And Dan, you know, as you mentioned, these electoral shakeups certainly change the approaches that a lot of times we have to make when we're consulting policy and encouraging some things. We've got to find that common ground. As as you look out and as Minnesota Farm Bureau members look out to 2023, I understand one of the issues you're going to be focusing on is beginning and emerging farmers and continuing that support. What would you like to see from the Farm Bureau's perspective to help keep those young folks in agriculture? Well, last last session, we did have a, a beginning farmer tax credit um, expansion, which would include direct descendants uh, of beginning farmers that would like to get in. Um, that did not pass. Uh, it got through the Senate, did not get through the House. Um, but we'd like to see that. I mean, how do you how do we foster that beginning and emerging farmers, uh, you know, to get into agriculture? The emerging markets is, is something even I don't know all the all the avenues that that can go down, but um, how do we support them? Uh, this is one way is the beginning farmer tax credit uh, and just, uh, you know, mentoring them if we can do that. We do have the Minnesota Department of Agriculture does have somewhat of a mentor program, but we also at Farm Bureau want to be that mentor, you know, connector, if you will. Absolutely. Put those people with the other people who can help them succeed as they get into this business, which is a high-risk endeavor. You know, one of the concerns I hear from young folks, especially in agriculture, but I know, Dan, it certainly applies to everybody in this industry, is health care. So many folks working off the farm in order to keep that health care. It's especially important to beginning farmers. I imagine that's important to the Minnesota Farm Bureau as well. Yeah, it is one of our priority issues as well. Um, the The 
you know, accessibility and affordability of uh, health care. We do have a reinsurance program here in the state that helps uh, offset some of that expense uh, if you're a self-pay type situation. Uh, otherwise, those premiums can pretty much eat up most of one of the spouse's incomes, really. And so, uh, you know, accessibility, you know, telemedicine has been a good thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, you do need to get to a hospital or, or a clinic you know, firsthand for, for most things. Uh, telemedicine does help in some situations, but so that's, that's, uh, true. that's another priority that we're working on. And is there anything on the healthcare front that Farm Bureau is cheerleading as this 2023 session gets underway, or are you more just listening to the ideas that are out there, Dan? Well, certainly mental health has been a, a huge factor. Agriculture is at a higher percentage of suicides and, and mental health issues. And how do we get that conversation started without the stigmas, if you will, uh, sometimes that we associate with mental health uh, issues. And so we've, we've had, not just legis legislatively, but uh, organizationally, we've, we've had some seminars and, and trying to get that word out that call for help if you need help. It's, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. There certainly isn't, folks. New National Suicide Hotline 988, I believe. If you're struggling with mental health issues, reach out, call that number, and uh, certainly get some assistance. Dan, you know, this past year, one of the things we saw, particularly here in the central part of the Corn Belt, was a new focus on biofuels. I know that Minnesota Farm Bureau believes in clean energy, believes in the, the ability of those biofuels going forward. Is there anything you're pushing for at the state level with regard to, to biofuels in 23? Well, certainly uh, we do. We did have a new crush plant that that was appropriated up in northwest Minnesota for biodiesel, um, and so anything we can do to promote, um, you know, E15 year-round E15 on the on the national level, we do have our, our congresswoman and senator that have been cheerleaders on that. But here at the state level, we are trying to get an E15 year-round um, through, but. Sometimes that comes with a cost to smaller mom and pop shops that tanks aren't necessarily compatible. And uh, the last couple of years, we've tried to get a uh, you know a fund established to help help those folks get those new tanks in that uh, that are compatible for E15. And that's going to be no different this year. Uh, we've seen an early markup of it, and, and we're going to try and get that through so that you know the argument, well, the, the tanks aren't compatible, and we can't afford to do that. Um, we're trying to help alleviate that with, with this bill and, um, you know, anything, anything that comes our way on, on clean energy from our standpoint, E15, you could have tens of thousands of cars off the road tomorrow, essentially. Uh, if you're talking electric vehicles, the infrastructure's not there. Um, we're, you know, renewable fuels, uh, it's right there and we can, we can turn that key tomorrow, really. We certainly can, and that is a feather in the cap of American agriculture to have that ability to generate energy across the countryside is fantastic. Glad to see more states pushing to increase access for their, their residents. Dan, the Minnesota Farm Bureau annual meeting here just about a month ago, you had a chance to connect and reflect with members from across the state. As you were talking to them and as they're looking out to 2023, is there optimism about the state of agriculture in Minnesota looking forward? Uh, yes, I would say there is. But there's certainly concerns with the cost of production. You know, the inputs that we're putting in are so much more expensive. Commodity prices have helped offset that. However, uh, when those commodity prices, if you're in agriculture for any amount of time, you know that how cyclical it can be. Um, there's concern with this, the cost of production. Uh, also, interest 
you know, as we talk beginning and emerging farmers, um, interest has become a real number uh, now where in the, in the past it really, I mean, it was a line item, but it wasn't really digging in like it is now. Um, so that's, that's one of the biggest concerns uh, going forward or that we heard at annual meeting. You know, and that cost of money concern is certainly what I'm hearing from growers across the country. And Dan, speaking of that, I know this past year you had the opportunity to serve on the National Board for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And what type of concerns did you take from Minnesotans up to the national level? Well, certainly we've we've been a cheerleader for E15 biodiesel. We're the heart of it uh, up here in the Midwest. And, and I'm not alone in that. I know our Midwest colleagues also uh, have been and, uh, you know, cheerleading that. Um, and how do we r- strengthen our rural communities? That's no different here in the Midwest than it is in the Southeast, Northeast, doesn't matter where you're at. Uh, how, do we, how do we address the needs for childcare, housing, workforce? All of those things uh, are a concern on our end. Yes, they are. You're hearing that from far- farmers across the country. Dan, this past year in, in your time on the board, how, how do you feel they did at the national level addressing some of those concerns? I think we're we're making steps. You, sometimes we get so wrapped up, you know, when you're a farmer and a business owner, you want results now. And sometimes we we don't get that in government. It's It's steps. It's incremental steps. And so anytime we can make steps towards uh, towards the end goal, of of continuing agriculture into the future for my kids, for my grandkids, for every you know, everyone that wants to be in agriculture. Uh, whenever you can make steps towards that goal, I call it a win. Absolutely. And Dan, the next annual meeting for the American Farm Bureau Federation is in Puerto Rico in 2023. When does that happen? A week from today uh, is the first day of annual meeting. Um, so next week at this time, I will not have cold toes from working out in the barn this morning. I will, uh, they'll be hopefully, well, they're not going to be in the sand, but they will be warm. Um, but no, it starts uh, a week from today and, and wraps up on Tuesday, a week from Tuesday. All right. So once that is wrapped up, we'll be looking at uh, what is coming in the 2023 Farm Bill. Lots of other national priorities to tackle as well. Dan, thanks so much for talking to us today. We'll let you get back out there to the farm. All right. Thank you. And folks, stay with us here. When AOA returns, we're going to keep the focus, I suppose, on national issues. And we're going to talk about free trade, some of the risks that are coming with Brian Riley, director of the Free Trade Institute, here when AOA returns. Stick around. We'll be right back after this break. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. 
If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we take a look at the market trade here on this Friday, soybeans and meal are the stars here, and that's helping to uh, lift up corn and wheat futures as well on the day. Soybeans soaring to their highest level in six months as we see that March beans now well above $15, the highest level since mid-June, with March beans having now rallied close to $1.40 per bushel since October. March soybean climbed sharply early Friday as well, scoring another new contract high. Now, driving the gains, concerns about Argentine soybean production potential Potential with the Buenos Aires Exchange reporting Thursday that just 10% of the Argentine soy crop is rated as good to excellent. We see that demand has been good and also crush margins have been so strong here. And that's really been helping out with this uh, strength here in soybeans. Now, can we hold this line above $15 now, an area that's been such big resistance overhead for quite some time? With Brazilian supplies coming online here in January and February, that remains to be seen. Wheat futures getting some good strength as well. Here's a work through the session heading into the uh, end of 2022. Corn futures up a little bit as well, getting back into that 670, 680 range. Mixed activity in cattle and hogs as we square up positions here ahead of the end of the year. Weekly export sales for beef were dismal again, just 2,300 metric tons last week with Japan the top buyer. Pork net sales only 15,100 metric tons. Mexico, Canada, China were the top three buyers on the pork side. Meantime, weekly export sales for wheat, corn, and soybeans were strong as well. And we did get a private sale on the Daily Wire of 186,000 metric tons even of soybeans to unknown destinations on Friday morning. Overall, good strength in grains, quiet, mixed, choppy activity in livestock. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america this is mike pearson and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world keeping america's farmers and ranchers informed on aoa now back to mike pearson Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us today for AOA. You know, we just heard from Dan Blessing, their president of the Minnesota Farm Bureau, about the domestic issues that agriculture groups are grappling with ahead of this next year. Of course, inflation, top of mind. We're seeing commodity prices, of course, be a concern. 
But it's not just domestic issues we've got to watch out for in the industry of agriculture. Global issues, as we have talked about so many times on the show, impact our bottom line, and they can do it in a huge way. And that is especially true when it comes to global trade. American agriculture is so productive. We produce way too much of everything that we need here in this country. We've got to have avenues overseas to get this grain and these products moved. And we've used free trade to get that done. We've opened up markets across the world for American agricultural products. But over the past two years, we're sort of losing some of the consensus that this system has worked. And I felt it was time to dig into it ahead of this next year and some of the challenges we may face from the EU farm to fork policies coming out of Europe, Chinese issues, sort of broadly, generally speaking, and specifically the potentially pending ban on imports of GMO corn into Mexico from the United States. How can the ag industry grapple with that? Well, Earlier this month, the Biden administration argued in front of the World Trade Organization and potentially made it worse or made it harder, rather, for American farmers to secure redress there. We're going to talk about that today with Brian Ryland. He serves as the director of the Free Trade Institute at the National Taxpayers Union. He's been covering this back and forth, and he joins us today. Brian, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us today. Well, thanks for having me on. Let's talk first about this WTO case that happened at the early part of December. We were defending the tariffs on steel and aluminum. Brian, what were the claims the Biden administration made in support of those tariffs? Well, these are tariffs that the Trump administration put on uh, during its administration. There are a couple of unique aspects to them. The first is uh, the, the steel and aluminum tariffs were justified based on national security grounds. And under U.S. law and uh, under WTO rules, countries are permitted to, to put um, import restrictions on for national security grounds. Um, in the United States, it's a little bit of a, a unique situation where typically Congress is in charge of tariff policy. And uh, the, in this case, the administration is able to put tariffs on and there's not much, there's no review from Congress, um, short of them just cha changing the law. Um, so at the time, a lot of U.S. senators from both parties really questioned the security justification for these steel and aluminum tariffs, uh, which were, uh, they, they weren't just imposed on China, they were imposed initially on Canada and Mexico, and they're still, they still used for, for Europe and Japan and Brazil. Um, in many cases, some of our closest allies, and it's really tough, I think, to make a case with a straight face that there's any national security rationale for, for these tariffs, but that's what the Biden administration did. Uh, the WTO panel said, no, you don't meet the criteria to have a legitimate national security justification for these tariffs. And, and I could just read from the, the U.S. Trade Representative's response. Um, they said issues of national security can, cannot be reviewed in a WTO dispute settlement, and the WTO has no authority to second-guess the ability of a WTO member to respond to what it considers a threat to its security. So they're talking about the U.S. steel and aluminum tariffs, but I don't think you have to think about this very hard to say, oh, well, uh, Mexico could just say hey, U.S. corn exports are, are a threat to our food security, or Canada... Um, so your, your dairy exports threaten our dairy security and just a, a blank check to engage in whatever restrictions on U.S. farm exports and other exports for that matter that they want. Um, that's really bad because, as you know, and I'm sure your listeners know, uh, and, and as you, you described in, in the intro, uh, foreign markets are so important to our future and uh, not just our future, but our, our, our current ability of farmers to 
um, to make a go of it. So I think it's really concerning, and it's something that um, too few people have been paying attention to. I think you are right about that, but I, I believe the ag industry will have to pay attention to this over the next year. But Brian, from the WTO's perspective, my question, I guess, follow-up would be, why wouldn't steel or aluminum, of course, vital for warships and, and weapons manufacturing or agriculture vital to keep troops fed count as a national security issue? How does the WTO define what is and isn't? Well, there's some specific language uh, in in the WTO agreement. You know, so the, the the exception has to occur during a, a time of um, international, uh, you know, for example, a wartime type of situation. The measures can, can kick in, or an international crisis. The measures can kick in. Um, with respect to our military, that is almost all supplied. The military is almost all supplied by U.S. steel that goes into uh, products and certainly U.S. and, and allied countries steel. So um, there's a little bit of a gray area there, but there is there are some some clearly defined um, check marks that the countries are supposed to uh, comply with. Um, now, typically, what would happen in this case if the U.S. disagreed is we would appeal to the WTO's appellate body, and and we could you know get another chance to make our case, but that appellate body is in, in limbo right now. So as we're approaching kind of going back to the Wild West days of um, each country saying, uh, pointing fingers at the others and, and then throwing trade barriers on back and forth without much oversight. And this goes, we have similar language, by the way, in, in our, our bilateral and, and regional trade agreements. So the language is a little bit different in USMCA, but there's still an exception for national security. And I think those legitimate ex exceptions are, are there for a reason. We have those for health and safety reasons, for example. Canada can't just say, uh, oh, your pork is not safe, so um, we're not going to accept your imports. Well, they have to have a scientific basis for those kinds of restrictions. Um, and similarly for national security, at least up until earlier this month, countries had to have some kind of legitimate national security explanation uh, for these tariffs. But as um, senators like Pat Toomey, who's leading the Senate, and Mark Warner have, have said, they, and, and these are Americans saying there's no national security case with the, really um, for these tariffs. So um, that's that's kind of where I think we're at today. And where we're at today is an interesting point, Brian, because now kind of the rubber needs to meet the road. The WTO denied the U.S. national security exemption on these tariffs, so they should go away, but they're not. So what happens next if the U.S. refuses to drop these tariffs from the WTO's perspective? Well, you, you mentioned one alternative, which is the best alternative, which is when the U.S., or any other countries is, is, is found to violate a WTO rule, they, they change that rule. And, you know, I think the U.S. has an interest in um, abiding by that, not just with respect to what's good for our, our economy, but to make sure other countries abide by WTO rulings uh, as well. Now, if a country chooses not to follow the, the, the ruling, then other countries have the option under the WTO 
uh, most typically of, of applying retaliatory bears on U.S. Um, U.S. exports. And that's what really uh, could have hit farmers really hard under the Trump administration, a different case, but the tariffs that were imposed on China, China retaliated uh, against um, a lot of products, but mainly U.S. farm products. Um, so that's a, a different case. It wasn't a national security case. But again, other countries often uh, look at the, the farm sector is a, a likely place to retaliate and hit uh, American farmers and, and ranchers with tariffs. And uh, in this case, the WTO would, would um, say that's legitimate. We don't like tariffs, but when somebody breaks the rule, uh, the rule of uh, our agreement, then those retaliatory uh, tariffs are justified. So that's what we might see. But the Biden administration has been on the steel and aluminum tariffs negotiating a lot of side deals where they've replaced some of the tariffs with, with quotas and, and trying to reduce the impact of the tariffs. During the campaign, when, when President Biden was running for president, he, he questioned, he was critical of tariffs, but uh, now that he's taken office, it just seems like a continuation of the Trump administration's trade policy or even an escalation in, in some ways. So I think that's unfortunate. Indeed, Brian, with this being the case, the slowdown at the WTO, the, the stalling of the appellate body, as American farmers look ahead to this next year, would it be best to pursue action under USMCA? Do you think that is the best course of action forward? Should Mexico try to limit imports of GMO corn? Well, yes, I, I think that's probably the more likely and more um, fruitful uh, way to, to approach this. And a lot of times, um, these trade disputes spill into broader economic and diplomatic uh, issues, whether it's immigration or, or um, energy policy, or a whole lot of different things. And countries will try and use use tariffs as an example, the uh, tool to to leverage other unrelated uh, topics. Um, certainly, the uh, the potential for this to escalate is, should be very concerning. Um, for Amer for American agriculture community, and it is, as, as, as you know, um, but it's really risky for for Mexico as well. The NAFTA going into USMCA has been such a success story, not just for the United States, but I would argue for all th all three countries. And uh, if we you know wind up um, moving away from that open trade framework, it's it's not really. Mexico versus the United States, or or U.S. versus Canada. It's, we're we're all in this together. So so I really hope that um, this can be worked out without going through the disputes that are not this way. Well, we will keep our eye on this, folks. This is going to be an issue that will be in Ag's radar for the foreseeable year. Brian Riley, director of the Free Trade Institute at the National Taxpayer Union. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Happy New Year. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We are going to hear from Dr. Michael Dykes of the International Dairy Food Association. Stay here for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. 
you can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Megan Woolley. She's Senior Director of Stewardship at CHS, and she serves as the president of the CHS Foundation. We're going to talk about the work the foundation does. Megan, what areas of giving does the foundation focus on? So we focus on three main areas, cooperative education, leadership programs, and university partnerships. And we think of our support on a continuum, so reaching the future of ag at all ages. We start with elementary school youth through partnerships with National Ag in the Classroom and state cooperative camps. We reach middle and high school students through 4-H and FFA. And then once students are in college, we're supporting them through scholarships and curriculum at 25 different partner colleges and universities. Wow, Megan, I understand this is the first year for the foundation to be supporting grants to teachers. Can you tell us why that's an important issue? It is. Ag teacher recruitment and retention has been a major focus for the CHS Foundation for several years through our partnership with the National Teach Ag Campaign. And we recognize that ag teachers are often the first introduction most students have to agriculture and thus the important roles that these teachers can play in a student's life. So typically we've supported teachers through state and national partnerships, but with it being our 75th anniversary this year, we wanted to try something a little bit different. And I'm really excited to share that we're awarding $75,000 directly to teachers. So we are really excited about the opportunity to support teachers directly in all the great work that they do. That is fantastic. Folks, we've been talking with Megan Woolley. She's the Senior Director of Stewardship at CHS and serves as President of the CHS Foundation. Megan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mike. And thanks to you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership by visiting cooperativeownership.com. Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? 
want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has what you need. Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us. They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through. We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry, with payments as low as $68 per month, or no interest, no payments for 18 months. For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks, to AOA. Agriculture and ag policy certainly has impacts on the international scene, but it also matters domestically. What comes out of Washington impacts the bottom lines of farmers across the country. We're going to talk about the impact on the dairy industry next with our friend, Dr. Michael Dykes, president and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association. Dr. Dykes, thanks for joining us. Mike, thanks so much for having me. Now, Dr. Dykes, I understand USDA has proposed some changes to the Women, Infant, and Children's Program. What specifically is USDA trying to do? Yes, uh, USDA's proposed rule every 10 years, USDA by law is supposed to look at WIC and make sure it's working appropriately. It's taken into account eating patterns and domestic needs and so forth. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big issue. Uh, they put out a proposed rule two, three weeks ago, Mike, uh, that uh, reduces the amount of dairy that a mother on wick would be reduced uh, about one and a half gallons per month of milk. Uh, they did some positive things. Uh, they've uh, clarified some of the yogurt container sizes uh, it used to be 64 ounces in some states were saying that only a 64 ounce container. We've said it should be any combination of smaller containers that would equal 64 ounces. They've made some changes on the amount of milk you could swap for yogurts. They've done some good things that we asked for. But Mike, the USDA reduction in the amount of milk that 6 million WIC participants would receive, and some of the participants again would receive a cut of a gallon and a half of milk per month. We just found it unbelievable. And we were joined uh, yesterday in a conversation with USDA with the National Milk Producers Federation. Jim Muller and I were together there. We, we, we were very united uh, in, our, in our comments to USDA and we'll provide written comments to USDA. We just think it's a step in the wrong direction and that they need to evaluate the nutritional benefits of dairy, not the food group of one food group versus another, but the nourishment in a glass of milk. And especially when we have 6 million moms, babies, and young children on WIC, which is probably only about 50% of those that are eligible. We did a survey 
of 534 WIC participants, Mike, and uh, 20% of those said that they would consider uh, not enrolling in the uh, WIC program uh, if, if they go forward with these cuts, which I think is, is, is unbelievable. Uh, 62% said that the dairy product they most purchase, 2% milk and whole milk, are not even permitted in WIC. So, wow. Mike, it, it's just a program that we, we're, we just don't understand the rationale for USDA's decision to cut the WIC program. Some would say they want it to be budget neutral because they increase fruit and vegetables, which we are fine with. We totally support that. But it's not budget neutral. There was no need to cut dairy. So uh, we are being, we we just simply will not rest until we have made our case that we think this is the step in the wrong direction. Uh, Dr. Dykes, does farm bill negotiations give the dairy industry any other say over these different food programs? Or once USDA makes this determination, is it pretty well set? Well, uh, the problem with this is if they make this determination and we enter proposed rules, so we'll have time for comments. Uh, we also put some language in the appropriations bill that uh, in this omnibus that should get passed by, by the time they all go home on Friday that uh, to make sure that they're making the WIC rule consistent with the dietary guidelines. Uh, speaking of which, they cut dairy for WIC, but 90% uh, of Americans are not consuming the three servings a day as recommended by the dietary guidelines for dairy. So we're gonna to continue to make our case. Uh, we'll keep working with the USDA and we'll see what we need to do once the final rule is published and where we are then vis-a-vis -vis the farm bill. Uh, WIC and feeding programs of SNAP are extremely important to Americans uh, for food, food security. Uh, and we are, we are very supportive of those programs. We have a program called the Healthy Fluid Milk Incentive Projects where it doubles their purchasing power. Each dollar they spend for, for milk, they get another dollar coupon to use for other dairy products. We have $4 million pending, $4 million to expand that, which would make us $9 million that we've had thus far for testing that as a pilot. We'd like to eventually get that as a permanent program uh, in the SNAP programs because we see that as the way that the U.S. intends to feed those that are food insecure amongst us. Dr. Dykeson, would that apply to 2% and whole milk as well? Well, the, 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 the first purchase so far, the first purchase would have to be uh, low fat or skim, but upon redeeming the additional dollar, it could be for any dairy, any, any milk, milk fat product. Folks, we've been speaking with Dr. Michael Dykes, president and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association. And Dr. Dykes, thanks for joining us today. Mike, thanks so much for having me. Well, folks, stay active and engaged as 2023 gets underway. Those federal policies definitely impact our bottom line. Folks, that does it for AOA today. It wraps up AOA for the year. And before we go, I wanted to give a hearty thank you. It has been just about exactly one year since I had the opportunity to pick up this microphone for Mike Adams. And in that time, I've gotten to know many of you listeners. We've added affiliates across the country. And folks, I can't thank you enough for your continued listenership to AOA 
And please stay in touch with us. Find us on social media. Find us on the website. Let us know what's happening in your neck of the woods with 2023 underway. We want to keep up to speed on the issues that matter to agriculture. Folks, on Monday, January 2nd, the markets will be closed. So AOA will be playing a best of episode. We'll return on January 3rd. We'll talk with Darren Newsom about how the markets look in the new year. We'll also be joined by John Varanick of DTN. Folks, we'll see you then in 2023. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.